wish for a more fulfilling, erotic, and sexual life? The journey begins here. This is The Sexual Voice with your host, Jessica Ford. As a relationship psychotherapist working with individuals and couples for decades, Jessica knows how to create and support meaningful relationships. Along with her guests, Jessica expands the lens of sex therapy, connecting you with a more satisfying and healthier sexual self. Now, here is Jessica Ford. was Joni Mitchell who sung us in today and she is a famous Canadian artist, singer, songwriter and this was her song from 1969. It gives me chills when I listen to it. Even a little bit emotional. Uh, Life from both sides now which I think we've all experienced no matter what the age and it's a complimentary piece to I think today's episode as we're looking at the benefits of change, fluidity, seeing what is and how nothing in life stays the same. So welcome to this live show to the, of The Sexual Voice, and I'm Jessica Ford. It's International Day on The Sexual Voice, and the back half of the show will be taking a look back, a retro, as it were, and reviewing the first four shows with Leah Vallon and Valian and from Kitchener and Waterloo, Ontario. Uh, but the first half, we're looking at orientations, rewriting what we know or what we think we know. And this is a, a really big deal for me because I really enjoy my guests in the first half. To begin with, I am really thrilled to have Dr. Meg John Barker, and she's joining us all the way from England to discuss their work. They are a writer, therapist, activist, academic, specializing in sex, gender, and relationships. Meg John published the anti-self-help relationship book, which is Rewriting the Rules, and that was in 2013. And they have a number of books for the general public that's coming out in 2016, this year, including The Secrets of Enduring Love, a comic introduction to queer, and a practical guide to sex. Additionally, they are a senior lecturer in psychology at the Open University and have published many academic books and papers and topics, including non-monogamous relationships, sadomasochism, counseling, and mindfulness, as well as co-editing the journal Psychology and Sexuality. They were a lead author in the Bisexuality Report which I think is pretty unique, that it's informed the UK policy and practice around bisexuality. And if we have time, we'll be talking about 
uh, maybe we need some help in influencing the U.S. policy around this topic. And currently, uh, she's co-editing a book on non-binary gender and with similar aims in that area. So, as I said, I'm really fascinated with your work on orientation. I did hear you speak a couple of years ago in Boston. Um, but it's not just orientations. It's your work on mindfulness. And uh, as a mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher, I, I really kind of gravitated to, you know, your piece in, in a shared book I believe you edited with uh, uh, Lori Bratto, who will actually be on on the 16th of September, and mm. looking at how uh, our striving <laughs> contributes to uh, our emotional abyss and our suffering. So... Mm. This term, uh, relationship anarchy, talks to me, and uh, I see a growing population of individuals who want relationships of all variety, uh, not just the committed ones, but or the ones that say, please come and move in with me or sleep in my bed, but, you know, a, a relationship that maybe doesn't include that. So, welcome Meg John, and uh, I, again, thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's 8 oh, o'clock. Thank there. you for having me. Yes, Friday night, but um, I've got plenty of time. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you have a good evening out afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm going to lead out with uh, what is relationship anarchy? I, I love that phrase. Yeah, um, it's a great term. Mm. Yeah, and, and then I'll ask you to explain how it relates to non-monogamy. So well, please get started. Yeah, maybe we can do it the other way around because I think okay. it's to start with the big umbrella of non-monogamy and then think about how relationship anarchy maybe fits into that. Mm -hmm. So I think that non-monogamy is really like the big umbrella term for um, people who form relationships with more than one person. So that's the kind of the big overarching umbrella. And then it kind of breaks down into the secret non-monogamy which is your kind of infidelity or cheating and then there's open or consensual non-monogamy which is when everybody involved knows that it's happening and they reckon it's up to about 50% of people having secret non-monogamy at some point in their life whereas it's maybe about 5% of people in the US having open non-monogamy but it's also important to remember that globally actually more cultures are non-monogamous than there are monogamous ones does that make sense? Repeat that again, please. Globally, probably more, more cultures are non-monogamous, often in the form of um, polygamy, than are monogamous. So actually, in the West, we're quite unusual to have a primarily kind of monogamous culture, or at least a culture that tries, where people try to be monogamous. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we, I may be addressing that then that topic on uh, when I get to sex and culture. <laughs> Grand, excellent. So yeah, that's just the overview of what non-monogamy means. And then underneath kind of the umbrella of open non-monogamy, you've got all kinds of things like swinging and polyamory and open relationships. But also the, the, the boundaries between monogamy and non-monogamy have got more blurred in recent years. So you might have heard like Dan Savage's term, monogamish. For something somewhere between monogamy and non-monogamy and then there's also like hookup culture friends with benefits so, so there's a kind of almost a spectrum of relationship styles going from really exclusively monogamous all the way to you know really open and non-monogamous so i think it's useful to see it more of a spectrum than an either or so the, this is your term fluidity then 
Well, yeah, in a sense that enough so that people change over the course of their lifetime in terms of how, you know, which relationship style maybe suits them. So it may be that people haven't tried a number of different things. Uh, one thing I did recently was to write a chapter about um, Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre. And actually, over the course of their life, they tried pretty much every version of monogamy and non-monogamy that I've come across. But of course, they didn't have a lot of the terms that we have now or the support networks while they were doing those things. No, and I think that uh, it's at this phase that we often see people in our office because one is maybe Mm. not ready for that change. Maybe one isn't ready to engage a more open or more fluid relationship. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's a really common one, increasingly common for us as relationship therapists that we're seeing people where there's a, a divergence or maybe both of them do want it, but they're still struggling with the actual practicalities of doing it. Or perhaps it is that there's a difference between a couple of people in terms of what they want. And it's about really helping people to figure out, yeah, what what do they want in terms of their relationship style? And how does it work with the other person or the other people involved? Okay. And so you've given us the umbrella. Yeah. Even though it's a warm day here in Wisconsin, but I, I, I get the idea. And then how does that then play out with this relationship? Because when I think of anarchist, and I admittedly was a child of the 60s, and I kept waiting for the revolution to come, and maybe I still am, I don't know. But I kind of think of anarchy as total rebellion. Yeah, well, this is, I guess, yeah, the relationship revolution. But I think we're we're sort of seeing, there's there's these waves, really, aren't there, of people thinking differently about um, relationships, and uh, relationship anarchy perhaps is the most recent wave. So it was, I think the term was invented by a Swedish activist called Andy Nordgren. Um, And it's maybe like the most recent version of open non-monogamy that I'm aware of. Um, But again, it is in itself even quite an umbrella term with lots of different versions of doing relationships under it. But I guess the important thing is that it's about valuing different kinds of relationships at a similar level. So it's really breaking down the hierarchy that we have between romantic relationships and other kinds of relationships. So I guess culturally we have this kind of idea of the the close sexual romantic relationship, you know, like the one finding our perfect partner and kind of see other kinds of relationships as less important than that. And relationship anarchy is about really questioning that hierarchy and saying, actually, you can have really important relationships that are platonic, collegiate, friendship, family, all kinds of other relationships. And maybe we shouldn't be hierarchizing them in that way. Okay, so uh, this idea of of multiple relationships, but as you're saying, different, uh, they don't, you know, when we think of relationships, we tend to, you're right, we think of bloodline, you know, family, or we think of a friend, or we certainly think in a more romantic way, but it's the romantic piece that I think gets gets caught up within this discussion around monogamy. You know, if I'm romantic with you, I mean, what was the word, you know, that used to be, are we going to be exclusive? So yeah. this ex- exclusivity seemed to, you know, kind of shadow this whole idea of, in a way, of a certain freedom. And and mm. when I think, again, of relationship anarchy, I, I keep thinking that this offers an opportunity for freedom, a, a freedom yeah. that... So that's the, yeah, the other piece of it, I think, is the prioritization of freedom. So there isn't a sense of people belonging to each other 
And again, in our kind of cultural, current cultural understanding of romantic relationships, there's a lot about, you know, you're mine, I'm yours, you belong to me. All of that is kind of questioned in relationship anarchy. Because again, if you're saying, or, you know, say somebody has five or 10 kind of really close people and you're not making these divisions based on are they romantic relationships or sexual relationships or other kinds, then it kind of doesn't make sense to have that sense of like, oh, well, this relationship is my partner and they belong to me and I belong to them and we we kind of possess each other and we kind of impose rules on that relationship that we don't have in the other kinds. It's more like, well, all of those relationships are important and it's all about a kind of ongoing negotiation <coughs> within each relationship about how we do it but it's not that kind of rules-based or exclusivity kind of base that you're talking about. So, again, I'm listening, and mm. what I'm hearing, this word comes up in my mind, this, the green-eyed monster, this jealousy, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and which is a, can be a really strong human emotion, this, you know, being possessive. Mm. And, you know, and, and I, I have a... I'm a cultural anthropologist is a part of my training a long time ago. And, and mm-hmm. so that whole lens comes in. So as we're evolving, I mean, is what will happen to jealousy? <laughs> I mean, yeah. can, can we contain it? So what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's a really interesting one. And there's been quite a lot of work. Those of us who've been studying um, open non-monogamy for the last decade or so have done quite a bit on this one. I mean, one thing to say is it often comes up as as like, oh, you know, how can you do open non-monogamy? Don't you have problems with jealousy? And a lot of the time, people who are openly non-monogamous, particularly polyamorous people who've been studied will say, well, actually jealousy isn't the number one problem. Often time management is the the thing that they list higher than jealousy. But that's not to say it doesn't happen. And again, we've got to be wary of kind of getting into a mode where we say it's not okay to be jealous because some people can be kind of thinking, oh, we shouldn't be jealous because we're openly non-monogamous. No one know, you know, everyone in all kinds of relationships can feel what they feel and jealousy is one of those feelings but I guess the shift that I see in quite a lot of great writing about um, open non-monogamy is that um, people are people are talking about jealousy as something as an emotion that they have but it doesn't mean that they impose that kind of possessiveness on the other person if that makes sense so you can feel the jealousy but you don't I guess that the cultural norm is if you feel jealousy then the other person has to stop what they're doing whereas this idea is like well you have the jealousy um, you try, you know, you, you maybe uh, try and stay with that jealousy and, and understand what it means to you, but you don't make it a reason to stop the other person doing what they're doing. So in, in essence, you own your own emotion. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you know, going back to mindfulness that you mentioned in the intro, that's quite a useful approach there because the mindfulness approach to emotions is to kind of to stay with them, to sit with them, to learn from them, uh, to understand them rather than to either act on them in a kind of way of, of acting on the other person and stopping them doing what they're doing or to kind of repress them um, and try and pretend you're not having them. You're rather trying to be with them in a kind of gentle and curious way. So I think that's that that is the way that a lot of people will talk about it in polyamorous uh, communities. So in, in some of your reading, uh, well, in some of the reading I did uh, yeah. in your work, you, you differentiated between non-monogamy and polyamory. 
Did I get yeah, that well, right? I guess polyamory would come under the umbrella. So if non-monogamy is the big umbrella, polyamory mm-hmm. is one of the kinds of non-monogamy. So swinging is one kind, which is more mm-hmm. kind of about sexual contact. Polyamory is more about having multiple love relationships. And then, as I say, relationship anarchy is another one again, which is more about not having a hierarchy between different kinds of relationships. But there's just so many different kinds. That's a real explosion. If you think about the explosions there have been in terms of all these different words for sexuality and all of these different words for gender, I think there's a similar one about relationships now. So we have egalitarian poly, hierarchical poly, solo poly, uh, poly, polyamorish. You know, it's just there's new words every day kind of thing. So I... I, I, I no, my time with you is precious. So mm. I, I'd like to, and, and I, we could continue talking about that for longer, but um, orientation. Yeah. So, which is, a, a, again, equally emerging and broadening uh, term. But yeah. can non-monogamy or even this relationship anarchy be an orientation? Yeah, I mean... An interesting take on this would be looking at um, the work of Sari Van Anders. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's a mm-hmm. feminist neuroendocrinologist. And she's just put forward this um, this big paper about sexual configurations theory. So she's trying to move it from kind of sexual orientation, which is just about what gender you're attracted to, you know, sort of gay, bi or straight. She's trying to move it to think about sexuality on a number of dimensions And one thing she does in that theory is to distinguish between who we're sexually attracted to and who we form emotionally close relationships with. And she says, well, those two things might be, we might be similar. So we might be sexually attracted to to the same kind of people we form emotionally close relationships with, but they might be different as well. And Mm -hmm. then they might, and then she kind of looks at both of those things on a number of different dimensions as well. Um, so under that kind of model, you could say, oh, non-monogamy or relationship anarchy could be somebody's relationship orientation. And I think that is quite helpful, that idea that maybe we all have slightly different relationship orientations. And then we can be really intentional about them and really open with people about like, this is the way I like to do relationships and find out, you know, whether we are a decent match on that or whether maybe it's not a good idea because we're so different. Um the only thing about the idea of orientation is it, it kind of gives the sense that it's something that's fixed in us kind of forever. Um, certainly that the idea of sexual orientation often comes with the notion that it's a fixed identity that maybe we have from birth. We're born this way. Um, and often it's seen as very binary, you know, either we're gay or we're straight. And so a lot of, a lot of kind of people coming from a more, more queer perspective, like, like Sari is, are kind of saying, well, we, we need to not see it as a fixed orientation. We need to see it as something fluid that can change through somebody's life and also not as binary because it's often a conti- more of a continuum, like I was saying before, a continuum from real monogamy to non-monogamy or a continuum from attraction to the same gender to different genders. Does that make sense? It does. I um, obviously everyone's going to think I must all all I do is attend conferences. But at a conference <laughs> in the spring, I, yeah. uh, Charles Moser. Uh, oh, was, I love Charles Moser. Yeah. And by the way, he sends his regards. Ah. Um, <laughs> he presented this idea that BDSM is now an orientation. Mm. And of course, you I'm sure are familiar with James Cantor, and he's telling us that pedophilia. Mm should be considered mm. an orientation. And, yeah. and so this idea of fluidity within, you know, being in, within your orientation, whatever, you know, you feel you've been 
maybe pigeonholed in, uh, yeah. is interesting as it applies to maybe those two, mm. uh, re- you know, relationship pursuits. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, the important thing with fluidity is that it's not saying that, oh, we can all just magically change our relationship or sexual orientation overnight. It's saying that, you know, actually people have some elements of their sexuality often that feel very fixed and very much a part of who they are. And they might have other elements of their sexuality that can change a lot over time. So for a lot of us, the some of the physical traits of the people we find desirable change quite a bit over our lifetime. We know we're not usually still attracted to the same, you know, boy band members that we were attracted to when we were a teenager or something like that um but you know other features maybe stay more constant and again with yeah bdsm is a really helpful one because you know even that we can break it down people have all different kind of roles that they find sexy and fantasies and um, sensations they find exciting and sexual activities that they enjoy and all of those things can be more fixed or more fluid as well so even like fixity to fluidity is kind of a continuum rather than, you know, I mean, it kind of blows your mind. I think when Sari was doing her paper, she was trying to map it on some kind of graph. And it's just, you know, it's an impossible thing to draw because it's just so complex. And I think it leaves us with this kind of, you know, we all have this unique sexual configuration rather than, you know, saying oh, all of these people have the same sexuality as each other. And I think maybe the message is here, we, we shouldn't be limiting ourselves or sometimes uh, being uh, directed by the messages mm-hmm. that we get. And, and it's having, so important. Yeah. Know, having that Cause, opportunity. Because if you I, think about, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I, um, I, I'm going to actually suggest that we go for a break sure. and uh, we will be right back and... I'm going to ask you at that time, is there something that you would like to leave us with? So, uh, yeah, we'll go for a break and we'll be right back. Thank you. Great. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to The Sexual Voice with Jessica Ford. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to the sexual voice at jafordgroup.com. Now, back to the sexual voice. Welcome back. And uh, we have our extraordinary guest, Dr. Meg John Barker, with us. And we're exploring the umbrella of non-monogamy and looking at orientations and the fluidity that we have within those possibly. Um, And maybe even looking at new definitions of orientations. So, Meg John, is is there a message you want to leave the listeners with today? Sure. I mean, I think I'd just say that it's useful for all of us to think a bit more about our relationship styles and to emphasize that different things work for different people and at different times across their lives. And I think from relationship anarchy, maybe we could all learn to think a bit more about the multiple close people in our lives um, rather than putting an awful lot of pressure on one person to be everything to us. Um, We can think about getting different needs met in different places. That's excellent. We've heard this uh, from some other colleagues before, and uh, but this is uh, this message needs to be continued and, uh, mm. and expressed with regularity. So I hope at some point maybe you would consider being a guest on the show again. Sure. And uh, I really want to thank you so much for taking the time this evening and uh, to share with us your work. Thanks for having and me. Very good. You're very welcome. Uh, her. The books that uh, uh, Meg John has written or co-written with is Rewriting the Rules, The Secrets of Enduring Love, and her latest book, uh, Queer, A Graphic History, and A Practical Guide to Sex, will be coming out. Matter of fact, you indicated that your... uh, the book launch is next week for yeah. Queer A Graphic History. You know, and that's a comic book. So a comic book, be yeah. Really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can hardly wait. And uh, Amazon does have many of your books. Uh, yeah. But I urge everyone, if you want to know more about Meg John Barker, please check out her website at uh, www.megjohnbarker, all one. Dot com. So thanks again, and uh, we will be looking for you at, an, at another conference. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much. Bye now. Bye-bye. So shifting gears a bit, uh, we're going to take a look back. And it is with great delight that my dear friend, matter of fact, maybe my dearest friend, and very distinguished and... Uh, imaginative colleague, Leah Valian, is here. She has a master's in social work from Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo, Ontario. She's a registered clinical social worker and sex therapist. She's the director of Couples Health, a relationship and sex therapy counseling center serving clients in Stratford and Kitchener-Waterloo. Leah is an artist and, like many artistic people, is passionate about our basic human right to experience and enjoy the best life possible, particularly regarding areas of sensuality and sexuality. She believes that compassion and creativity are essential to moving us through the relationship dilemmas we all face. So if you're interested in Leah and uh, her practice, please check out her website at www.couplehealth, and it's couplehealth.com. 
www.thepeopleshow.ca. Leah, welcome. Thank you so much for listening and uh, to Meg John, wasn't she phenomenal? Oh, she sure was. They sure were, I should say. <laughs> Jessica, yeah. thank you so much for that warm welcome and to invite me to help to explore how we can all find our sexual voice. And I also wanted a quick thank you to Joni Mitchell, my goodness, for honoring the mysteries of love and life in that wonderful song, Both Sides Now. Beautiful. So we'll jump in and are you ready to begin our look back with the first episode with Dr. Jim Faust and neurobiology and sex? Sure, Jessica, but you began your first show um, explaining your intent with the sexual voice, and I just wanted to repeat something that you said because I really liked it. I heard you say, as sex therapists, we know people struggle with this inability to know how to express themselves sexually, which makes them feel inadequate and devalued. The work is to help people to feel whole. It's about integration. We want to encourage people to learn how to talk about sex, not just the acts of sex, but the sensations and the emotions that they feel about their sexuality and to understand how this changes over time. Also, we're exploring sex as a need. So as I thought about all this, it made me consider that maybe finding our own sexual voice could be compared to singing our own song. And if you've never learned the words to a song or a melody, how can you really sing it? Have you ever been to a karaoke night and heard someone choose a song that just doesn't fit them? It can really fall flat and sound so fake. But even if we're humming a tune, it might be pleasant, but it's just not an authentic expression of our own truth. It's not our own song. I, that's really well said, and and I think uh, I, th- I think you certainly got my initial message. So so great, I thank you. And I know Jim took up a lot of the time as he needed to to give us a glimpse at the neurological functions of sex. And for me, that had some real importance. Obviously, I chose it for the first show, and. The concept of sex as a basic need, as you mentioned, was explored in that question that I asked him, hunger versus appetite. And Jim went on to explain, hunger basically is a system from the inside out, which is a physiological part. And the appetite is a system that works from the outside in, which is the psychological. So understanding these two two systems and how closely related they are was important to me because I look at how it motivates our interest in food, sex, and other things. And learning about our sexual voice is a shared journey with our appetite to discovering and accepting, I think, what we really hunger for. So was there anything else in that first episode that stood out for you in Jim's work? Yes, I also liked it when Jim said, you know, we can all seek touch and satisfy this need to be needed in various ways. The purpose of sex on an individual level is to feel pleasure and to enhance your interaction with the world. Without being touched, you lose emotional nourishment, and that emotional nourishment from touch is crucial to survival. Jesse, you at that point asked Jim about, what about single people who might not believe they're being touched enough, or we might not believe that, but I just want us to remember that, you know, partnered people are not necessarily receiving the benefits of touch and being needed. 
just as single people are not necessarily missing out. You know, we can all give touch and be touched in many ways, whether it's sexual or non-sexual. I think you captured that, and uh, that was an important message that he made. I often think of the elderly that maybe aren't being touched at all, so kind of that was my guiding uh, thought with that question. But then let's look at episode two with uh, Gina Ogden and the expanding sex therapy. What, uh, what stood out in her interview? Well, for me, I, I just would like to give a shout-out to Gina for creating such an inspiring body of work. And, you know, thank you, Gina, for everything you've given to the profession of sex therapy. So much creativity. I often use some of Gina's work in my sessions with people when I ask them to consider the following questions. I turn myself off when, and I turn myself on when. We're just so used to considering how a partner turns us on or off, and this really puts the accountability on ourselves to create the sexual and sensual life that we want. And I think these are great questions, and I certainly use them. And I think sometimes the stumbling block is if, if I don't know what turns me on, even from a non-sexual perspective, I think it sometimes challenges them. But there's more that you have to say, I think, about Gina, because she, I mean, the body of her work is extensive. So what else comes up? Yes, Gina is also recognized as one of the first sex therapists, maybe even the first, really, to make the connection between sexuality and spirituality. And this inspired her to create the 4D wheel, as she calls it. The 4D wheel, after that show, actually, I heard from a lot of people quite fascinated with what she was talking about and and her description, but they couldn't quite visualize it. And I know you and I both have been to her retreat, so could you take a minute and just uh, kind of give us a a visual of of what it is like? Sure. Um, Let's imagine that you're entering a large room. And there's a circle of rocks or candles, whatever it is, it's creating a circle or a wheel, you could say, on the floor. And that wheel is divided into four parts or quadrants. And these represent our experiences in terms of the physical, the emotional, the mental, and the spiritual. You also brought along two objects that relate to your sexual self and experience. One object represents what you are ready to let go of or move away from, and the other one represents something that you feel you're ready to keep and to seek more of. So as you move around, you're considering your sexual self and experiences from these four quadrants. You're actually stepping into your own inner process where there could be a lot of wisdom coming from this process. And... Gina also, I think she did a nice job in describing uh, when, when I ask about changes and uh, does sex change or what does it look like over time. And uh, Oh, I you know, remember I, that. I, yeah, she, yeah. she was talking about a couple that uh, came to her saying that they wanted to have the kind of sex that they had back in college. And she told them, well, in college, you decorated with milk crates for your bookshelves. And are you telling me that's how you would decorate your home now? You know, over time, you're going to change how you decorate just as your sexual tastes and expression is going to continue to change and to evolve. Well, it is an evolution, and uh, I'm going to, you know, this is a good time to mention, I hope everyone stays through the end of the show, because uh, please stick around to hear Joni's 
both sides now and how it evolved and changed over time because it's a, a very rich experience. So at this moment, I think we're going to take a break and we'll be right back uh, talking with Leah and discussing the first four shows. So stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. You are listening to The Sexual Voice with Jessica Ford. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to The Sexual Voice at jafordgroup.com. Now... Back to the sexual voice. Welcome back. And with Leah Valian, and we're talking today, reviewing the first four episodes. It's been a challenge, I have to say. I'm not a, uh, an experienced talk show host, and learning this uh, over the first four shows has uh, been daunting at times for me. But I'm, I think I'm improving slowly, I hope, and uh, have had great comments and uh, comments and I want to say constructive criticism from a lot of people and uh, appreciate that. So uh, we have many more shows to go and uh, hoping that uh, by the time I reach the 13th one, it'll, uh, it'll be a little easier. So Leah, thanks for, for being here and we're... Down to show three, episode three, with Kate, uh, Peggy Kleinplatz and Great Optimal Sex. So what stood out for you in that particular episode? Oh, wow. Peggy's work is so wonderful. She's a great colleague in Ontario. Peggy's key finding from what she learned about those who experienced optimal sexuality was summed up as a wholehearted intimacy as the willingness to be oneself emotionally naked while in the presence of another who gets you. You are going out on a limb and sharing yourself with another person. Nothing could be more intimate. So we focus on our experience simultaneously while we are engaged with another. Now there's a challenge. You know, Peggy's survey respondents would say, don't wait until you're 50 for great sex. Some of these people, well, all of these people are 60 and up. They've made the choice to be more vulnerable with one another and to bring up their standards of what they wanted in their sexual lives. 
they said they had to unlearn all that they had learned, the myths and stereotypes and what it means to be male or female. So in a way, you could say that we have to learn to be rebellious. And Peggy urges us that if erotic intimacy is your goal, you need to invest time and energy and commitment, just as you need to with any other art or anything magnificent that is created. You know, Jessica, it really baffles me that we expect to understand issues like life and love and sexuality in very easy terms with clear steps to follow. You know, when I hear some incredible music that really is inspiring, do I assume that, you know, I can easily play that music without an enormous, you know, time and dedication put forward towards that? And... But but I think this is a really good point. When you think about uh, what is needed to create music from, you know, the melody to the songwriting, that this requires immense effort. And while we certainly hear of people who sit down and write a song on a piece of a napkin, but it, there's a lot more that goes into that creation. So I, I think that's a, a wonderful point when you're looking at all beautiful things or even all really good things create effort. For sure. And Peggy asks us to consider this question. What makes you glow in the dark and burst with excitement? She says, whatever ignites our vitality, our aliveness, is essential in optimal sexuality. I imagine it as marching to the beat of our own heart. You know, I can't separate sensuality from sexuality. Um, we must learn to connect to our senses and whatever unique things that arouse our curiosity and our pleasure. People with optimal sexuality are the ones who are remaining curious and connected both with themselves and with one another. No, I, I love that expression, what makes you glow in the dark. That's great. So looking at episode four now, and with Caroline Pukal and Stan Althoff, Where's the Sex? And I came up with that name for the show because it came out of actually a, uh, a client said it to her husband when, out of frustration, but during a session because she was so frustrated that they weren't having sex. And her husband had PTSD, and he was on a variety of medications and was really struggling at the heart of the struggles they were having was they couldn't have sex and weren't having it. And that's what she said to him. Where is the sex? And this is what she was longing for. So out of that episode, in those interviews, what stands out? Well, it's a fact of life, isn't it, that so often, you know, things can happen to our sexual expression when we consider sexual pain, erectile difficulties, and other sexual and physical issues, and it can really challenge and even silence us from expressing our sexual voice. Uh, Carolyn's sex therapy and the therapy from a pelvic physical or a physiotherapist can actually provide great support when you're facing any of these challenging issues. Um, I found a lot of hope in that, and also in Stan, he gave, Stan's uh, discussion with you, he gave advice to men who have dysfunction sexually um, to basically start off by becoming a more selfish lover. You know, focus on what gives you pleasure. Tune into your pleasure channel 
instead of letting anxiety and performance pressure lead the way. You know, and similar to Stan, I see it as a need to prioritize pleasure over pressure. Whatever we're focusing on is going to be what grows. So in developing our sexual voice, we must direct our energy to pleasure and avoid listening to pressure from others, whether it's society, magazines, the Internet, our religion, or porn. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm in awe here because I've you you've done an extraordinary job capturing capturing the first four shows, and oh, thank I you. want to thank you so much for taking the time to condense four hours into twenty minutes like you've done. This has been amazing. But yeah. is there one last thing you wish the listeners to take from away from those first four sh- uh, hmm. first four shows? Yeah, I think um, we need to consider what is my sexual voice at this point in time? You know, maybe it's full of guilt or shame, stress, fatigue, you know, joy, adventure, celebration. It's most likely to combine a number of these and many more. Whatever it is, we need to see it as an art. You know, we could Photoshop out what we don't want and paste in what is healthy and authentic to us personally. We can explore and change it so that it's more of what we want it to be. But like any art, it takes time and interest and effort and creativity. You know, this might sound difficult or even scary, but let's approach finding our sexual voice with creativity and compassion for ourselves and others as we seek our authenticity. You know, you might start by exploring the writing of the guests who've been on this show and even by contacting Jessica or myself or other sex therapists to get some guidance with finding your sexual voice. And, you know, I love quotes, Jessica, so I kind of wanted to end with this. Yes, we do. I just love, you know, the pearls of wisdom within them. So here's one from pastor and author T.J. Jakes, and he tells us, Eagles mate in the air. Exactly. If it's not done as an art, then why do it at all? Beautifully said. So thank you so much again. And I'm going to say as we move to the close of today's show, my mind is boggled with how fast it's gone. um, We have summed up between Leah and myself the first four shows, and you've heard our takeaway. But my question is, what is yours? And knowing that you can always listen to these episodes because they're out there uh, on the Voice America Variety Channel, um, I'm interested in knowing what has come up for the listeners. What has come up for all of you? What words or phrases or thoughts that have lingered with you from the first four shows or even today's show? So please share these with me on Facebook or on email, and uh, the email, the sexual voice at jafordgroup.com. Again, it's all one, the sexual voice at jafordgroup.com. So I'd love to hear from you. So now we're going to go to next week, and next week we've got a man who's written many books on this topic, but Sex, Desire, and Intimacy Through the Life Cycle, Dr. Barry McCarthy. He's a professor of psychology at American University. 
He's the recipient of Masters and Johnson Award for a lifetime of contributions to the sex therapy field. Third, a certified marriage and sex therapist. And his 14 books that he's written, the three that are probably the most noted are Rekindling Desire, Discovering Your Couple Sexual Style, and Enduring Desire. So I'm going to encourage all of you to continue listening. September is going, I can't believe this is now the end of August, and September uh, is first is next week. And on the second, we are going to be, as I said, with Barry McCarthy. And then on the ninth, uh, we're going to be looking at, uh, can we outrun our genetic hardwiring? Sex and technology. On the 16th, mindfulness, and that's personal intimacy and presence with self. On the 23rd, the ebb and flow of sex and desire, is it me or you? And then the 30th, culture and sex. Uh, We're going to be continuing to discuss these and all these topics and helping in a way, maybe it is teaching. Uh, I've been told that the show is sounding a bit academic, but that isn't the intent. It's to get you all to think, to expand your own knowledge of yourself and to help you create and establish confidently your sexual voice. So please follow on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Your listenership is still growing, and we sure appreciate your support. So I'm going to say goodbye for now, and thank you for listening. Remember, healthy sex begins with you. Please join me next Friday, and we will continue to explore and talk some more. We're going to be closing the show today with a soulful Joni Mitchell from her April 2000 All-Star Tribute in New York. Thanks for listening. Old friends, they're acting strange And they shake their hands and they tell me that I've changed well Something's lost, but something's gained In living every day Thank you for joining Jessica and her guests today on The Sexual Voice. Please tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy your sexual self, and please join us here next Friday.